All right, let's begin by praying. Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you for your saving work through your son Jesus Christ and his blood, his death on the cross. We thank you that you raised him from the dead on the third day. We, we thank you for your word. It's living and powerful and challenging and, and edifying all at the same time. We thank you, Father, for the blessings that you provided the moment we believed in your Son. We thank you that we are eternally secure and we can't lose our salvation. We thank you that we are in union with Christ forever. We thank you that you've adopted us as your children. We thank you that we are indwelt by the Spirit and we thank you for the Bible, which is your your thinking, your revelation, the, the place we go, we always are going to receive the truth. And we ask that you would this morning have the Holy Spirit mentor each and every one of us as we continue to learn and hear and, and, and be edified and convicted by the, the teachings in your word. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Just want to let everybody know a couple of things this morning. This is uh, the last Sunday of October, like the last day of October. So next Sunday we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper together. Next Sunday. Also, want to make people aware of a couple other things. Um, the first one uh, is our schedule at Thanksgiving time. Again, we will not be meeting on Thanksgiving Day. We typically don't, but also the following Sunday, we won't have a service that day either. So that week, basically, Thursday and Sunday, we will not be having service. On Sunday, November 1st, three weeks from t- 21st, three weeks from today, Keithy and Starling will be visiting us. Um, he has a prison ministry, and um, he's got some exciting things that he's working on right now, and he's going to inform us about those things. So we look forward to welcoming Keithy on November 21st. And once again, Grace Bible Church in Pakistan is having their Christmas care package um, fundraiser again. And uh, let me give you a couple of pieces of information about that this morning. Um, they're going to continue to put together the packages for the students, but they're also going to add this year a family package for families that are struggling with food. And so they're going to package all of these things together. Again, this is Grace Bible Church, Pakistan. The deadline this year for giving is the end of the year. December 31st. Um, their goal is to uh, is to raise $18,000. The student packages will be $15 each, and the family ration packages are $30 each. So we ask that you would prayfully consider these things and, uh, and, and also to realize that they're presenting the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as well in a simple way whenever they come into contact with the people uh, to whom we are distributing. So again, um, we ask that you briefly consider supporting this this year. Um, there are there are a couple. Need the packages, the or sure, sure, please. absolutely. Yep, the student uniform packages are fifteen dollars each, okay. and the family ration, the food, is thirty dollars each. Fifteen and thirty. You're welcome. There are a couple of ways to give. You can um, go on their website. Okay, which is, uh, you know what, I'm going to provide a slide. This will be easier next week. But you can go on the Internet, on their website, or you can mail a check to them. So I think this year we will get out of the way, and you can, what's that? I think you can use 
They can? All right. Great. All right. You can just provide it to to, uh, to Margie. Thank you. Good morning. Um, <laughs> uh, you can probably check to Margie or, or I guess mail them to us as well. Just make sure you indicate that it's to, be, it's to go to Grace Bible Church Pakistan's um, annual fundraiser for the Christmas care packages. Okay. I think I have my act together. Good morning again, everybody. Please turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 35. John, chapter 1, verse 35. The title of today's message is The Lord's Anointed. The Lord's Anointed. Remember, we're looking at a a, a short series right now on Messianic prophecy. Who is the Messiah? Again, John chapter 1, verse 35. John chapter 1, verse 35. And we'll begin. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked. And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. As we saw last week, this subject of the Messiah, the Christ, is central to the mission of the Gospel of John. The the mission of the Gospel of John, we've seen this passage many times, John chapter 30, I mean 20, verses 30 and 31, is to provide information to the reader, the reader of the gospel, the hearer of the gospel, such that they would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the promised Messiah, and the Son of God. So that's the mission. And so half of that mission, so to speak, is for people to to learn that the Christ, the Messiah, is Jesus. Now what we're doing, what we're going to be doing for the next few weeks, is to answer the question, okay, so who is the Messiah? Not Jesus, but what does it mean? What does it mean, the Messiah? Um, what does it mean, particularly in the Old Testament? What, we're going to see that there are a series of prophecies in the Old Testament pointing forward to the appearance of this Messiah, this Christ. And we're going to look at those, and we're going to tr- understand how, as we move through the Old Testament, there's, um, there's, a, there's a, a connection, as we go through, between different prophecies along the way, from Genesis all the way to Malachi. And, and more than that, the entire Old Testament is as it were messianic, meaning that it's all leading to a single person. And and we'll take a look at that. That's really important. We saw that at the end um, last week where the Old Testament links to the New Testament. Both of them need each other. Both of them, as it were, are messianic. They're both pointing, the Old Testament pointing forward, the Messiah who will come, the New Testament proclaiming that the Messiah, the Christ, has come, and identifying him as an individual, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's where we're headed. 
And we remember we saw that in, in Jesus' day, we saw in the Gospel of John, there was high expectation. They expected the Messiah to come at any time. And part of that was historical because they had seen or they knew about the great kingdom of David and the kingdom of Solomon. And yet their history from Solomon forward was one where the, where, where the royal kingship declined and kept declining to the point where it disappeared, not the people, but the, but the office, because they were conquered by first Assyria, the Assyrian Empire, and then the Babylonian Empire. And so they were under the rule of foreign empires. And that continued. Um, once, the, once the Babylonians, they were defeated um, by the Persians, Okay, and the Persians gave the Jews more freedom, but they were still under the empire. Okay, and then and then then it was the Greeks, Alexander, and then it was the Romans. So at, by, by the time Jesus is coming and is born, the, the the Jews are under Roman rule, and so and so they clearly knew that they had lost something tremendous in terms of the kingdom and the king that they once had. And then, and this is what we're going to look at, then those who were true to the Old Testament scriptures, though, understood that there had been a promise, in fact, a series of promises, all leading to this person, the Messiah. And since they, they realized that, that it had never been fulfilled in their history up to the point where Jesus was born, and there was a tremendous need and a tremendous expectation that he could come at any time. And we saw that many of the common people, as they met and listened to the Jesus, his message, they saw who he was, the works he performed, they came to believe that he, that Jesus of Nazareth was this promised Messiah, this promised Christ. Many of the common people did. We saw that, both Jews and Samaritans. So today we're going to begin this study of messianic prophecy in the Old Testament, the Messiah in the Old Testament scriptures. We're going to start right now by defining the term. What does it mean? Where does it come from? The word Messiah comes from the Hebrew word for anointed, the anointed one. It, it actually, the root of this word is actually comes from the oil that was used to anoint. And we'll see who was anointed in the Old Testament in the nation of Israel. We'll see that in a moment. The, the uh, Hebrew word is Moshiach. Mashiach, and it and it means the anointed one, and it, and and by the way, we saw this this morning in our passage. There's that Hebrew word, and then there's the Greek word Christos. They're exact equivalents, just in a different language. Just remember that 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 the the Hebrew word Mashiach and the Greek word Christos are the exact equivalents. They used interchangeably. They, now, of course, the the, the Greek word um, wasn't known to the writers, to any of the writers really, um, because of the Old Testament, because the, 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 they, they stopped the last writings of the Old Testament um, were before the, the kingdom of Alexander the Great and before the Greek language sort of took over um, and became the, the, the common language, the language of writing um, to, to, the, to, the, to the region where the Jews live. And so Christos is really a New Testament word, but it's the exact equivalent of the Old Testament Hebrew word Moshiach. Now, what does it mean? Well, remember we've already seen in John 1, 41 that the expectation, there was an expectation and, and, and Andrew went to Simon and said, we found the Messiah. 
which translated means Christ. And, and even in that, that chapter, that verse, we can see that there's a, a connection, absolute equivalence, again, between Messiah and Christ. Let me give you the Hebrew word again, Mashiach, Mashiach. And, it, and let me tell you a couple of things about it. The first thing is, is that it's rarely translated as, as Messiah. As a matter of fact, this, this Hebrew word for the anointed one, Mashiach, is translated Messiah in just a single passage in the New American Standard. Now, but the thing is, it appears 39 times in the Old Testament. But the only place where it's translated, the English word Messiah, is in the book of Daniel. It turns out that this is a tremendously important passage for understanding who the Messiah is and the expectation and and how anybody who had just seen this one passage in Daniel would have had great, great expectation if they were alive during the time that Jesus' ministry occurred. And we'll see that in just a minute. Daniel speaks of a future prince. Please turn to Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. This Hebrew word, Mashiach, it, it means the anointed one. It's translated Messiah here in, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Let's take a look at it. Historically, Daniel writes, while the Jews, the, the nation of Judah, is in captivity in Babylon... It's nearing the end of that captivity by the time chapter 9 is written. And and Daniel is looking forward to what's going to happen once the people are delivered out of the Babylonian rule and then into another rule by the Persians. And he has given this vision, this prophecy to speak to the people. Look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Seventy weeks. Notice how specific that is. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city. Jerusalem, that is. Your people are the Jews. Now, 70 weeks really says 77s. If you, if you look at the Hebrew, it says 77s. It's not week, actually. It's years. So there's 70 times 7 years that have been decreed for their people. 490 years. From the time that we'll see from certain time in history, which Daniel is about to indicate from that moment there will be 490 years will pass and then something will happen so again 70 weeks have been decreed for your people the jews and your holy city jerusalem notice the tremendous things that will occur to finish the transgression to make an end of sin i mean these are incredible things to make an end of sin to make atonement for iniquity now those of us, of course, who, who know the rest of the story, who, who know from the New Testament what Jesus accomplished, particularly at the cross, can, we can really find the meaning here that the transgression will be finished, that, that there will be an end of sin. Jesus Christ on the cross died to sin and to death to make atonement for iniquity. The death of Christ, his blood, was the atonement for all the sins of the world. And then to bring in everlasting righteousness. That is actually talking actually forward from even where we are today so that the the everlasting kingdom will be a kingdom of righteousness. The king will be righteous and that will be established notice forever. 
tremendous things that are said to seal up vision and prophecy. All the prophecies will be fulfilled and to anoint. By the way, that is also the Hebrew word Mashiach. Anoint the most holy place. Seventy weeks. Look at verse 25. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah. There's that the Hebrew word translated Messiah here. Messiah the prince. We know therefore that Messiah is a prince, a ruler, royalty. There will be a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. That decree is actually mentioned in the Bible, in the book of Ezra, for example. We know exactly when that decree was issued. Until Messiah the Prince. In other words, from the, from the moment there's a decree that allows the Jewish people to go back to the land and, and rebuild Jerusalem, from that decree, 490 years, and then the Messiah appears. Messiah the Prince. And then, actually, actually, 483 years, because notice, until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Okay, that's, of course, 69 weeks, and that's 483 years. Now, that's interesting. It's not our subject, but there's a sort of seven years that are left hanging. And, of course, those of us um, who were together when we studied the end times on Thursday evenings understand also where those seven years appear, and it's in the future still. In any event, the exact moment when the Messiah, the Prince, and here will be presented in Jerusalem will be exactly 483 years from that period of time when uh, a Persian king issues a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Then, after the 62 weeks, okay, the Messiah will be cut off. The Hebrew word for that is actually to die. It means to die, to be cut off, to die, and have nothing. In other words, the Messiah, the prince, will die and, and he won't be the king. He, he will have nothing. He, he will not yet be the king. Um, it, it, because as we know, the Jewish people rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah. He'll be cut off and have nothing. And then the people of the prince who is to come, this is the Roman prince who will come in the future. That, of course, is the beast, the individual who will be the ruler of the revived Roman Empire and will come and destroy Jerusalem and the temple. And, of course, and that is during those seven years that are left off here. In any event, the people of the prince who is to come, the beast, will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. So there's that word, the, 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 the Hebrew word, Mashiach, translated here as Messiah, translated here and talking about a prince, talking about a prince who will eventually finish the transgression make an end of sin, make atonement for iniquity, and bring in the everlasting righteousness of the kingdom, fulfill all the prophecies, and anoint the the holy place, the most holy place, the holy of holies in Jerusalem, the temple. Well, that word, though, Mashiach, even though it's Mashiach, even though it's only translated Messiah in this passage in Daniel, it actually occurs 39 times in the Old Testament. That number isn't important, but to understand that, here's, here's it translated only here in Daniel, 
as Messiah, but it occurs 39 times. And it's, we're going to take a look at some of those other places because it's going to give us additional, great additional information about who this Messiah is or from the point of view of the Old Testament, who he will be. We're going to see that this it's always looking forward. This one who is coming. And there are different attributes that are, that are, that are described that, that, that match this one who will be coming. So for this word... It's a noun. It, 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 it talks about a person always. When it's used, it's always referring to a person. Now, I say that because other things were anointed um, besides people and in the Old Testament. Um, objects, objects in the temple and so forth. But when, when this particular form of that word is used, it's always a person and a particular kind of person, a person who's been chosen by the Lord for a special office. They were anointed with oil. And so the, the word Mashiach means the person who was anointed with oil, chosen by the Lord. That's really important for a special office. Here's a picture of one particular person who was anointed with oil. Notice the red hair. That will hopefully some of you give away who he is. The Bible says that, and we'll see this today, that David, the eighth son of Jesse, had red hair ruddy complexion this is an artist reproduction but notice that he is he is kneeling down and the prophet samuel is anointing him with oil so it turns out that this this word mashiach is used in connection with two different offices this is tremendously important again why because we're looking at how the old testament information references prophecies pointed forward to this Messiah who was to come. And one of the features of this Messiah who was to come is that he's going to hold two offices simultaneously. And they are high priest and king. High priest and king. In other words, in the Old Testament, the ones who were anointed for a special office were either the high priest, he was anointed, or the king, like David. And we'll see Saul and Solomon so and others as well. And so this word is used for people who are men who are anointed with oil for the purpose of, of, of recognition that they are the chosen one of the Lord to fulfill one of these offices. I say one of these offices because the, 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 the Old Testament is really specific and clear that the high priest and the king were separate offices. As a matter of fact, they came from different tribes. The priests came from the tribe of Levi. The kings came from the tribe of Judah. So naturally speaking, human beings couldn't be from both. They couldn't be from both Judah and Levi, right? They had to be one or the other. And so these are always separate offices. And um, again, it refers most often, uh, actually always, to, to either the high priest or the king. Most of the time, it's referring to the king, and a particular king, of course, the king of Judah, the king of Israel, the king who's, who, was, uh, who was ruling from the city of Jerusalem. I want to show you a couple of examples. Please turn to 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 4. 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 4. This word Moshiach is used here, and it's used in connection with a king, a king being anointed. First Samuel twenty four four. 
what are we doing now? We're looking at a word that's translated Messiah in the Old Testament just once in the English, talking about the prince who, who the prince Messiah, the prince who would come. And at the first at the first time he came, remember he would be cut off, but then he would also bring in the future everlasting righteousness in the kingdom. And so, but that's not the whole picture of who the Messiah is according to the Old Testament. So now we're tracing through the word, okay, the word that's translated the anointed one and in Daniel the Messiah, Mashiach, because we're going to learn additional things about who this Messiah would be. Look at 1 Samuel 24, verse 4. Then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. Now, let's set the stage for this one. At the time this at the time this event occurred, it was Saul who was the king of Israel. David had already been anointed, we're going to see this passage in a moment, as the future king. And at this point in time, Saul is persecuting David. And there was this day when David um, had the opportunity, actually, to kill Saul if he wanted to. But notice what he did instead. David arose and he cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. Now, why did he do that? Because later on he could show, you know what, if I had wanted to, I could have killed you because I got so close to you that I actually cut off part of your robe. Verse 5, it came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. So he said to his men, far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed. And again, that word here for anointed is Moshiach, the Lord's anointed, referring here to Saul, at the time the king of Israel, to stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. Now there were two kings in particular whom were referred to as the Lord's anointed, Saul and David. We see both of them here in this passage in 1 Samuel 24. In other words, the, in the Old Testament, there were two kings who were referred to as the Lord's anointed. Not just anointed, but the Lord's anointed. So there's something, they're closer to the Lord. They're, they're more precious to the Lord. And it was Saul and David. Saul, the first king of Israel, David, the second king. But of the two, David was by far the greater In fact, he is the greatest king of Israel, or Judah, in the entire Old Testament. And again, this is really important as well for understanding who this Messiah will be. So we have the greatest king in the Old Testament, David. And yet we're going to see that even David was, was informed, in fact promised, that there would be one who would come from his loins, his descendant, who would be an even greater king. And again, in the whole history of the Old Testament, that king never appeared, never appeared, especially under the descriptions that were given to who this king would be. So I'd like you to turn next to 1 Samuel 16. And here we're going to look at the, the passage that was the basis for that painting we just looked at. The anointing of David as the king, the future king, of Israel. Look at 1 Samuel 16, verse 6. 1 Samuel 16, verse 6. And of course, again, this is a passage that has the word Mashiach. 1 Samuel 16, verse 6. 
When they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Now, in context, Samuel had had been told that he should go to the house of of Jesse. Jesse had eight sons, and one of them would become the Lord's anointed. And Samuel went there. And Samuel looked, and he thought, surely... Eliab would be it. He was the oldest. He was the, you know, he was the, he was the muscular. All the things that visually a person would say, now that's a king. But the Lord said to Samuel, verse 7, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. The Lord's anointed is not according to what humans would see as clearly who the king would be. By the way, this would also be the case the first time that the Messiah comes. You know, those of us who are in Isaiah on Thursdays realize that he would, he would have no stately appearance. He wouldn't be recognized as a king. He looked, right? so, so this is, um, David is a type of whom Jesus will become, a, a foreshadowing. In any event, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature. Because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab, another son, and made him pass before Samuel. And Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Next, Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are these all the children? And Jesse said, There remains yet the youngest. And behold, he's tending the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. Verse 12. So Jesse sent and brought in his last son, his youngest son, the one who was tending sheep. Now he was ruddy, with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. This is the Lord's anointed, the one that the Lord had chosen the youngest and he was he was out tending the sheep which was considered a menial labor because that would be the the lot that would fall to the youngest one but the lord said arise anoint him for this is he because the lord looked at the heart and he realized that david would become an amazing great king with character and integrity and courage then samuel took the horn of oil remember mashiach means the oil it came from the word oil the anointed one and then here we have it the Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward and Samuel arose and went to Ramah now he was anointed physically with oil but he had a second anointing and that is by the spirit of the Lord 
This is another marker that we're going to see comes to be uh, expect, an expectation about who the Messiah would be when he comes, that he too would be anointed by the Holy Spirit. Okay. So again, Moshiach here is, is, it refers to David. We're going to see now, however, the same word is also used to point to an even greater king who would come after David. An even greater king who would come after David. He, as a matter of fact, would be far greater than even David was. David was now the the greatest king of, of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament times. And yet, one would come who would be even greater than David was. This, again, is, is, a, is a description of the Messiah who would come. And the things that are said about him, we're going to look at some of them. Again, the people could see from the time of David forward that such a one was never seated on the, on the throne of David. All right. So let, let's take a look now at other passages where this Hebrew word for Messiah, Moshiach, appears. I'd like you to turn back to Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 10. First Samuel chapter 2, verse 10. We're going to learn some amazing things about who this Messiah would be, this one king that would come after David, who would be far greater even than David. First Samuel 2, 10. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king, and will exalt the horn of his anointed. And there's that same Hebrew word, Moshiach, that was used in Daniel to translate the Messiah, the Lord's anointed. He will exalt the horn of his anointed. Notice that the Lord one day would judge the ends of the earth. He would give strength to this king to be his agent to judge the ends of the earth. Now, David had a great kingdom, but it didn't extend to the whole earth. It never did. As a matter of fact, it never even extended to all the land that the Lord promised Abraham that he would receive. And yet, here's one who would come, who would be the judge to the ends of the earth. All people everywhere. He will give strength to his king and will exalt the horn of his anointed. This king would be strong and exalted or as it's said of him in Isaiah chapter 52, he will be high and lifted up. And this was no ordinary king. And then remember the passage that we've seen in Daniel this morning, talking about Messiah the Prince. We're going to take a look at some additional passages now to have the same Hebrew word, Moshiach, and they'll be from the Psalms. The Psalms. Please turn to Psalm chapter 2. Now, even though we are taking the position to understand who the Jews of Jesus' day would have expected from the Scriptures, the Messiah to be, I kind of have a confession that I actually cheated. Well, the reason is, is because we're going to see this too, that the New Testament provides the absolute perfect roadmap 
to find the Messiah in the Old Testament. So there are times when that's how I came about to find these passages, in addition, of course, to the word of the day, um, the anointed one. And I'm saying that because there are several places, more than one New Testament scripture cites a passage here in Psalm 2 in connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 2, verse 1. Why are the nations in an uproar and the people devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand. Again, notice the scope of what is being described here. It's the kings of the earth all the kings of the earth, all the rulers of the different peoples on earth, the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Notice, against the Lord and against his anointed. Now we now know that this event will happen even in the future for us. This is actually describing the last great battle of the tribulation period, sometimes called the Battle of Armageddon. Um, which is actually not a great description of it because it didn't happen at Armageddon. In any event, that's another story. Against the Lord and against his anointed, all the kings of the earth, and we know from other prophecy, um, as well as in the book of Revelation, that there will be a day when the kings of the earth will descend upon Jerusalem and attempt to wipe out all the Jews. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Any guess what the Hebrew word for that phrase, his anointed, is? Mashiach. Mashiach, exactly. That's right. Saying, and notice again, so basically, if you wanted to, you could translate against the Lord and against his Messiah. Because that's the word. Saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. Fetters are, are, are the things that were used basically um, for a slave, right? To, 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 to put bounds on the slave so that he, he could be controlled and cast away the cords from us. Now, this is metaphoric, talking about the fact that the Lord and his anointed, his, the great king, would be ruling these people and, and trying to keep them under control, okay? So that by their righteousness and by their power. And, and of course, these people didn't want to be um, under other control of the Lord, under the rulership of the Lord or his anointed. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. Love that. Who, who sits in the heavens? The Lord. In other words, he's laughing. Now think about this. All the kings of the earth are assembling. They are the, they are the rivals against the Lord and his anointed. And yet the Lord scoffs at them and laughs at them. In other words, even the greatest power on earth is nothing compared to the power of the Lord. Right? He who sits in the heavens, the Lord laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. And again, this is a, a, a prophecy, a prediction of what's talked about in the book of Zechariah when the Lord will come and he will make his throne. He will, he will appear on the Mount of Olives and then he will defeat all the enemies and then he will be installed as king forever. I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Verse 7. Now, that, now, it, now it switches. Verses 1 to 6 are talking about from the perspective of the writer of the psalm 
And then and then in verses 4 to 6, the Lord comes on the scene and is described as the one who will speak to the kings of the earth in anger and terrify them and tell them, it's my king that I've installed upon Zion, the holy mountain. Verse 7 is a, starts a, a, a really interesting second part because this is being spoken by the anointed one. And I want you to notice what he says. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, this is the king, the anointed, who will, who will be installed upon Zion. He said to me, you are my son, and today I have begotten you. This anointed one, this great king, would actually be the son of God. The son of God. I have begotten of you. Now, that, now that's something that um, was way beyond David. David was a great king, okay, but he was not the son of God. There would be one who would come who would be both the great king, the Messiah, and the son of God. In other words, God in the flesh, the God-man. There's only one person in the history of the universe that fits this description, by the way. What am I saying? That even if you just had read Psalm 2 as a Jew, you would have been in expectation of this figure who would come, who would be not only human, but also divine, and have divine characteristics, in particular power. Now, we have studied in the Gospel of John where we've seen manifestations of the godly, God-like power, the divine power, the power that Jesus received from his Father to perform miracles, for example. That was tremendous power that could only come from God. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations, this is all of them, all of the nations of the Gentiles. I will give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. Who? All the nations, the ends of the earth, and you will shatter them like earthenware. Then he turns back now, the speaker, the writer. Now, this is actually the Lord in heaven. Now, therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth, all the leaders of the earth, of all the nations. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Now, that's, that's something that we can relate to because after all, the Lord is the one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all-powerful, all-knowing. They should worship the Lord. Everybody should. And that's well understood. Right? Well, it's not by everybody, but anybody who takes seriously the idea that there's a God who's all-powerful, who created us, um, realizes that the response ought to be worshiping, worshiping that Lord with reverence. Rejoice, but with trembling. There's that fear of the Lord that is always a part, particularly of the Jewish peoples and how they related to the Lord in heaven. But notice the next verse. Worship the Lord, but also do homage to the Son. So now we have the anointed, the King of Israel, who is also God's Son, and and, and then all the kings of the earth are also going to worship Him. There will be a day when every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do homage to the Son. And again, I have to emphasize this. This is said in Psalm 2, which is an Old Testament passage, which, would, which, if understood, would set up the most amazing expectations for this Messiah. 
is characteristic of who this person would be. Do homage to the son that he not become angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all those who take refuge in him. The Messiah, the Lord's anointed, will rule over all the kings of the earth. And the Old Testament tells us that. This is the one that should have been expected. The Lord also, remember, calls Messiah his son. He's divine. The Messiah is begotten by him. That means that he's proceeded directly from God the Father. And again, we know in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, but this is, a, this is a description in Psalm 2 of the same, same relationship between God and His Son, God and the Anointed One. Old Testament, Psalm 2. The Lord calls the Messiah His Son. In other words, He's divine. He is also God. The Messiah will receive the nations as His inheritance and the ends of the earth as His possession. So in other words, he's not just going to be the king of Israel. Even the greater description of greater Israel, including the surrounding nations, but all the nations of the earth. Something that was beyond the ability, really, for a Jew to imagine or understand. They didn't actually know who all the nations of the earth were. And yet, this anointed one, this Messiah, would come and receive all the nations of his inheritance to the ends of the earth. Would all be his possession. Now that kingdom, that realm, will be far greater than David's was. This is the Messiah that should that is expected, the expected one. His kingdom will be far greater than even David's was. All the kings of the earth will one day bow and worship to this Messiah. All right, let's take another passage in Psalms. Psalm 132 now. Psalm 132, 10 through 18. These psalms that we're looking at this morning, and there are more of them, are called messianic. Because again, looking from the perspective of the New Testament, we see that these are cited specifically talking about Jesus Christ. So for us, the, 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 the New Testament confirms these passages as being messianic. But even the Old Testament uh, writers and the, and the Jews of Jesus' day also had markers that this was the Messiah. The word the Lord's anointed, the description that he would be far greater than David and that no one had ever come on the scene that would match the descriptions here. Psalm 132, starting in verse 10. For the sake of David, your servant, do not turn away the face of your anointed. Now this is interesting because this was written after David. After David. And yet he's talking about the face of your anointed. Your anointed would be a descendant of David because this was written after David. For the sake of David, your servant, do not turn away the face of your anointed. The Lord has sworn to David a truth from which he will not turn back. Of the fruit of your body, I will set upon your throne. He is saying that the descendants of David, one in particular, would sit upon his throne and sit upon his throne forever as other passages we will see, like Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. This becomes the what is known as the, the Davidic covenant, 
the covenant that the Lord has made with David, the promises that he has made. And as we'll see that that covenant, the promises that the Lord made to David, is the core of what we mean by messianic prophecy. That there would be this Messiah who would come, a descendant of David, would sit on his throne forever and rule, as we see from these other passages, the entire world. Again, the Lord has sworn to David a truth from which he will not turn back. This is what we call an unconditional promise, unconditional covenant. It will happen. Of the fruit of your body, I will set up your throne. This is why um, there are these, uh, these descriptions of the descendants of David um, all the way to Jesus so that it could be recognized clearly that Jesus met this criteria that he was a descendant of David. You know, in the Gospel of Matthew, when it first, that's the very beginning. That, that you know, This one begot that one. It goes all the way, by the way, from Abraham all the way down to Jesus. And as a matter of fact, it's pretty amazing that there were actually 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 generations between the Babylonian exile and the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's all documented. Not only that, but there are other um, genealogies in the Old Testament. You sometimes wonder, you know, you read, and it's like, why are they telling me about all these people, begat this one, begat that one? The individuals in most cases are not the issue. It's the fact that they could trace all the way from, as we see, Abraham down to Jesus. All of, all of the forerunners, all of the people in the line of David, such that it, you could document the fact that Jesus came from the line of David. By the way, this is something that once the, uh, once the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, all the records of who was from the tribe of, Ju- of Judah would be destro- were destroyed. What does that mean? That since the time of Jesus, there would be no one who could stand up and prove from the scriptures from the records that they were a descendant of Judah. And therefore that tells us that if, if God's going to keep his promise, he had to have kept it before 70 AD. This one had to appear as the descendant of David before 70 AD. Now, who is that one? Who is God in the flesh, who is the greatest son of David, and who appeared sometime before 70 AD, and as fact Daniel said, he told him the exact date when he would appear. Now, I hope you can see, and this is all based, almost all based on the Old Testament, so that, so that a, a Jew who was realizing what had been promised concerning the Messiah in the Old Testament had to have come to the conclusion, as so many of the common people did, as, as the, most of the apostles did, that this one, Jesus, is in fact the Christ, the Messiah. Again, Psalm 132, let's begin again. For the sake of David, in verse 10 now, for the sake of David your servant, do not turn away the face of your anointed. The Lord has sworn to David a truth from which he will not turn back. Of the fruit of your body, I will set up your throne. If your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony which I will teach them, their sons also will sit upon your throne forever. Now, this is a fascinating verse. What is it saying? It's saying that the actual descendants who will be on the throne of David, who will 
who will rule over this kingdom will be those who keep the covenant, those who, who, who keep the testimony. Now, here's the thing. If you look at everybody from David forward, okay, let's go to the, the first son who became king, Solomon. Well, the question is, did he keep the covenant? Now, if you haven't studied Solomon, um, then you won't realize this, but Solomon eventually turned his back on the Lord, and he didn't keep the covenant. You know, he married foreign wives. As a matter of fact, it was, it was right after, at the end of his re- reign, the nation would split in two. That's how dra- dramatic the, the fact that Solomon didn't keep his covenant. And you can go through and you can read all the kings forward. All of them had faults in the sense of, of not keeping the covenant perfectly. There's only one. One descendant of David who did that. And from the point of view of, of the Old Testament, who would do that? And of course, again, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimony, which I will teach them, their sons also will sit upon your throne. And notice the last word, forever. That, th- that this descendant, that, that David would have a descendant who would sit on his throne forever. Again, that is no mere mortal who would, who would fit this description. Verse 13, For the Lord has chosen Zion, Zion, Jerusalem. Zion is another word for Jerusalem. He has desired it for his habitation. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. So now we, we, we know exactly where the Lord will anoint his, the descendant of David to sit on the throne forever. It will be in Zion. This is my resting place forever. When the Lord will finally finish his work of, of actually restoring everything, okay? And we know from the book of, of, um, of 1 Corinthians that Jesus is the one who will ultimately restore everything, reconcile all things to himself, and then finally hand that kingdom over to his Father. And so it's only when the Lord Jesus comes the first time and the second time that the Lord God, the God the Father, will actually be able to rest forever. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. The Lord will abundantly bless her, now that's Jerusalem, her provision. These are the people under the rulership of the king in Jerusalem. I will satisfy her needy with bread. Her priests also I will clothe with salvation. And her godly ones will sing aloud for joy. This is again a description of the conditions that will be in place when the Lord comes back and the kingdom will be set up. Abundant, abundant blessings, abundant um, food, abundant um, all the things that were needed um, by the people would be provided in abundance when the Lord comes back and sets up his kingdom. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her needy, even the poor, with bread. No one will be poor. Her, her priests also I will clothe with salvation, and her godly ones will sing aloud for joy. There will be joy in singing. And and we've seen again from the book of Isaiah that, that, that this rejoicing without ending will only occur when the Messiah comes and sets up his kingdom. 
Verse 17 there, I will cause the horn of David to spring forth. This is in the future. I will. I have prepared a lamp for mine anointed. He will be a light to the Gentiles. Therefore, I will cause the horn of David. This is the, 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 the anointing of the greater David to spring forth. I have prepared a lamp for mine anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but upon himself his crown would shine. This one would be a descendant of David, as it were a son of David. That title will appear in the New Testament as well. And again, this is a connection, a marker of the Messiah that then shows up in the New Testament scriptures talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And while he be a son of David, his accomplishments would be greater than David's. His realm, the people he would rule over, the lands that he would rule over would be much greater than David's. His time in office would be far greater. David died, and yet this one will never die. Far greater. His righteousness and his justice will be exceedingly great, and his nature, his very nature, infinitely greater than David's. The Lord promised David that this magnificent person, his descendant, would one day sit on David's throne. Solomon couldn't hold a candle to this promised king. And the reign of Solomon was the pinnacle of the historic kingdom of Israel. And as I mentioned earlier, things fell apart quickly after Solomon. There was never a king even as great as Solomon after Solomon died. The kingdom was divided north and south. And as time passed, the kings that sat on David's throne in Jerusalem generally got worse and worse and worse until the nation itself was taken into exile. Even after the people returned to the land, they remained under the bondage of foreign empires. By the time Jesus was born, the king, of, the, the king that Rome placed over the Jews was not even a Jew. And I'm talking about Herod, much less a descendant of David. And yet, the Lord made a promise to David, a promise that he would surely keep someday. Next week, we will listen to the promises that the Lord gave David. We've seen some of it today. But we're going to go to the passages that show the promises, the specifics of the promises that the Lord gave David. These promises became what is known as the Davidic covenant. And this is the core of the messianic hope. The core of the messianic hope. When we say that the Old Testament is messianic and it points to the Messiah, the core of all of that is in the promises that the Lord made David, which we call today the Davidic covenant. This greater son of David, the expected one, the promised Messiah will come. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are in awe when we realize that the things that you have put in your word, the promises you have made, the descriptions of the Lord Jesus Christ that we find in the Old Testament. And we thank you, Father, that we also have the New Testament where we see all of these things fulfilled, that every promise that you made, whether it was to Abraham or Noah or David, all were fulfilled in this one person, your magnificent Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, today we also want to realize before you that there are still millions and millions of people who have not received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, not believed in him,
And yet, for us who are us who are dedicated to your word, we know that the proof is overwhelming that he is your son, that he is the promised king of Israel, and that he's the Savior who died for the sins of the world. Father, give us the motivation and opportunity to preach this gospel to the to the people in this world that we come across who are dead in their trespasses and sins and desperately need to hear the good news of the gospel. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. All right. Remember that, uh, as always, on Thursday, we will be gathering together again for our Bible study right in the next room um, on, the, on the prophet Isaiah. It's pretty amazing. It's, it's, it's almost like there's a God in heaven because the very place we are right now in the book of Isaiah is in the, what we call the servant songs, the songs about the coming Messiah. And that's going to be, in addition to the idea that the Messiah would be the son of David, the other great title for the Lord in the Old Testament, the Messiah who is to come, is the servant of the Lord, the anointed of the Lord, the servant of the Lord. And so come on Thursdays and you can see what what the Lord revealed to Isaiah in the Old Testament as well about the coming Messiah. All right. We also, by the way, have a prayer meeting every Thursday evening and um, I haven't said this in a while but remember that you can always provide us prayer requests um, on our website it's really straightforward there's just this one thing you click and it goes to this place where you can type in your prayer list you've done in 30 seconds unless you're really verbose and then we'll have it and we'll pray for whatever person or, or, or other requests that you have when we gather together on Thursday so please take advantage of that as well Remember the gospel of Jesus Christ that we are to preach. That all men have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being reconciled as a gift through the blood of Christ who who came, was born of a woman, God in the flesh, the promised Messiah, the Son of God. He came and he died on the cross for the sins of the world and he was buried. And on the third day, God raised him from the dead and presented him as his son, the Messiah and Savior. And whoever believes, simply believes this good news about who this person is who came forth from that grave, that he did die for our sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead as our Savior and our Lord. Whoever simply believes this good news will never perish but have eternal life. Believe on the Lord Jesus is the message that we bring and you will be saved. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for allowing us to gather together this morning, whether in person or over the internet, to, in order to, to celebrate the truth in your word about your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in order to be better educated, informed, and armed, to be able to give a reason for the hope that resides in our hearts. Particularly, Father, we would ask that as we study this subject of the Messiah in the Old Testament, that you would bring in our pathway Jewish people to whom we can present this good news in their Old Testament Hebrew scriptures. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.